0: It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Today's guest is the world's leading expert in spectroscopic imaging, Rohit Bhargav. He's a director of the Cancer Center at Illinois, a center fostering interdisciplinary research and innovation and novel educational experiences from world-class faculty at the Convergence of Science and Engineering. A professor of bioengineering with an affiliation with the Beckman Institute, Rohit and his team have developed a 3D printer that makes highly precise scaffolds of living organs such as the heart. Made of a type of sugar called isomalt, uh, the results of the project will make it easier to study ducts and vessels where cancer can take root. It's just one way he's leading uh, engineering to, to bring solutions to medicine. Today, we'll introduce you to several of those ways that engineering is playing a role in solving diagnosis and treatment of a variety of cancers. Uh, Rohit Bargav, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me here.
0: Uh, I guess, first off, uh, talk a little bit about your background, because uh, the lead is the the, uh, world's leading expert in spectroscopic imaging. Talk about uh, you were the first, really, to go down this path, uh, how it it came to be, because uh, your initial degree was in chemical engineering. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, path, Mike. Uh, So I started off as
1: an undergraduate in chemical engineering, and I had a minor uh, degree in polymer science and engineering. Uh, Then I went to do a PhD in polymer physics, uh, primarily working on experimental uh, phase-separated systems, which meant two kinds of polymers mixed together, and doing some theory. So during my PhD, we developed uh, this technique that is now called chemical imaging. And the idea here is not only to look at the visible uh, picture of the material, but also look at its molecular composition. So you can image molecules or image chemistries. And that's really the idea behind most of my work since. It's the idea to be able to observe and quantify chemistry and then
0: use that knowledge to do diagnostics or uh, to understand materials further. And uh, you were uh, hired as, uh, I think, maybe the first assistant professor in bioengineering here all the way back in 2005. So talk about taking that technology and then applying it to, to bioengineering. Yeah,
1: so as a postdoctoral fellow at the National Institutes of Health, uh, around 2000 I started working on this idea of applying chemical imaging uh, to look at cancer pathologies. Uh, the idea being instead of recognizing cancer by its shape and uh, its structure um, uh, just visibly, we can actually recognize it using the chemistry that it contains. And if we can look at the chemistry, then perhaps we can understand it better and help um, uh, treat it better. So that was the concept that we started working on uh, about 15 years ago, and I was very fortunate to be actually the first assistant professor uh, recruited here in the new Department of Bioengineering at that time, and uh, it was really exciting
0: uh, back then. So talk first off from a diagnosis standpoint, uh, because I know one of the things that's exciting is being able to diagnose maybe the precursors of cancer um, and, you know, where it's, uh, as we talked about in the, in the open, where it kind of takes root is sort of areas that perhaps uh, are tough to detect.
1: Yeah, that's a really um, good point, Mike. So today there are two kinds of problems. Uh, one, to detect cancer really early and say if there's actually going to be a cancer in the body at that particular point uh, and uh, that particular organ. The second is once cancer is diagnosed, uh, is it really going to turn dangerous or can it be contained or can it even revert? Uh, based on certain treatments. So where we focused on right now is if a cancer is diagnosed, then try and predict how it will behave. And the rather unique concept we use is not to look at just the cancer's molecular makeup, but also understand the microenvironment around the cancer. So think of cancer as not as a growing uh, malignant cell of one type, but think of it as a society of cells. And in that society of cells, one particular cell is growing rather rapidly, Uh, But it's being supported in its growth by other cells. For example, blood vessels bring it nutrition. So instead of studying just the tumor, uh, if we also look at the microenvironment and control both the tumor and the microenvironment, we perhaps know a little bit more about the cancer and can treat it better. So that's the concept that we've been working on.
0: Yeah, so it's really a mini ecosystem and uh, being able to, as you said, not zero in on the cancer itself, but all the other other uh, aspects of it.
1: Yeah, and I think the exciting part is that understanding this ecosystem uh, really takes all the tools of engineering. So you have to start with the measurement devices. We start with the imaging devices that we build in our lab. Uh, You acquire the data uh, with high accuracy. So we work with surgeons and pathologists to identify uh, the different types of cancers, different problems uh, that they face, and then acquire data from those systems. Then we work with data scientists. So try and use modern machine learning uh, techniques to use the power of computing to try and understand our data and perhaps make a predictive model. So it's really bringing together this basic science, uh, almost electrical engineering, physics, uh, together with chemistry and biology from uh, the tissue properties or the tumor properties, and then computer science and data science uh, together to analyze this and gain insight into the problem.
0: Well, if you look at your uh, bio, you have a uh, you have a hand in several Colleges and departments uh, across the university. Um, and at the heart of that is a director of the uh, Cancer Center at Illinois. And I think it really uh, underlines the idea that uh, to t- attack cancer, it really takes uh, folks from uh, a lot of disciplines to be able to do that.
1: Indeed. I think, you know, we've made tremendous progress against cancer in the last almost century. And the idea there was initially to just study the disease, recognize it, understand the dangerous features of it, and perhaps find a quick solution, right? So the first few decades were essentially spent just understanding cancer. Then in the 70s, this whole molecular biology revolution happened. So the focus again shifted to understanding the precise details of not only biology, but biology associated with cancer. Then if you think about it in the mid 90s, almost the genomic revolution was upon us and then the race was on to sequence uh, the genome, just understanding the genome. Uh, at the turn of the century and onwards, it was utilizing that genomic information. So we're just about uh, you know, in the last 10 years where we've got enough information, and now it's the turn to make solutions out of that information, right? So having this knowledge base and turning it into usable technology, as you know in any engineering endeavor is, in a, is an engineering enterprise, of course, but involves uh, people who are experts in science people who are experts in implementation, people who are even experts in policy. So if we have to have true technological solutions for cancer uh, today that arise from engineering, we do have to involve all the other fields, medicine in particular, and our engineering-based college of medicine is a great example. But we also have to involve basic scientists, uh, social scientists, and behavioral scientists. So the list goes on, but
0: uh, we've made a start with the cancer center here. And obviously there were uh, researchers, professors that were already on campus that kind of came together, Um, and it's been around for around 10 10 years, but I think really jump-started maybe 2018. Um, Has there then been an effort to start recruiting uh, faculty members that maybe fit um, the bill here in in terms of being able to, to be leaders in cancer specifically? Yeah, so the cancer center
1: uh, effort was started about 10 years ago and it really was a grassroots effort where uh, a group of faculty came together and decided to work together correspond with each other meet regularly and try to make joint progress and over time we realized that we had a really novel concept on our hands and we could uh, have our impact much beyond the borders of the university of illinois uh, if we organized together to work together with other people so that's the genesis of the cancer center really In 2018, we became officially one of the eight uh, campus-wide institutes on this campus. Uh, And that was a designation that allowed us to operate uh, quite across disciplinary lines, uh, bring people together, get direct support from campus uh, administration and actually show the world that this is an important uh, activity for this campus and we believe in this concept. So we took that further and now we're actually in the middle of applying for National Cancer Institute designation as the first technology and engineering focused cancer center in the nation.
0: What would that mean for this particular center and for the university? That's a
1: really important designation. It's a really important step because primarily it's a recognition by the National Cancer Institute that this cancer center is of a sufficient size, of a sufficient quality and sufficiently well-organized set of activities that merit its inclusion in a a sort of merit list of, of cancer centers if you will. And this this seal of approval actually comes with an automatic recognition by other cancer centers that we're of a certain standard, of a certain stability, and we can be counted on as a partner. So it actually opens the door for Illinois technology and our engineering uh, to be used by cancer centers across the nation. It makes it much easier for us to collaborate with them, it makes it much easier for people to find us, and it makes things much
0: faster for our research to be uh, adopted elsewhere. And people are used to hearing this engineering-led, uh, engineering-based. Uh, because we started the College of Medicine, uh, we're in the, in the second year um, of that. Uh, very exciting uh, talk about. And and uh, we have we actually have had you on to talk about why cancer needs engineering. Was the title of that podcast. But maybe uh, for those that, that haven't heard it, um, talk about why that's important and how Illinois as. Uh, as a strong engineering school, um, can really be a leader in engineering-based approaches to medicine. This is
1: perhaps one of the most important topics of our times, Mike. I think health is, as everyone knows, taking an increasingly large uh, chunk of our economic activity in the country, and it's taking a large chunk of our attention. Actually, there's a lot of uh, concern, perhaps, around health, yet there's also tremendous potential. Uh, in the last three decades, we have made such tremendous advances in engineering. You know, imagine your phone from the 1980s and imagine your phone from today. It's purely a technological and engineering-driven marvel as to how we've changed in every facet of society. There was no Internet, uh, you know, three decades ago to talk of in the, in the general domain. Uh, and the, the sheer level of uh, sophistication in our cars, in our thermostats, everywhere uh, in life, so it's quite a fair question to ask, uh, when will that innovation come into the healthcare space to improve our condition? And that's really the focus of our College of Medicine and of the Cancer Center broadly. So I think this whole trend began with the Department of Bioengineering on our campus about 15 years ago to organize into formal units that actually focused on health. So bioengineering uh, um, achieved official designation in December 24, uh, in 2004. Uh, The Cancer Center was started about a decade ago, and the College of Medicine, of course, as you know, now has its second class going through it. So I think these three forces are pretty much engineering focusing on health. Uh, As a university, we have a land-grant mission to focus on the problems of society. Uh, We have tremendous uh, capacity here to do that. And with this deliberate action by our campus leadership over the last decade and a half uh, to focus on health, I think you're now starting to see the fruits of that uh, come up. And again, with the focus, with the right focus, with getting the right team behind it, uh, we think we will have solutions uh, that are worthy of being adopted.
0: Well, I want to talk to you specifically about uh, digital molecular pathology as it relates to this, because uh, that is um, one of your uh, expertise. Just talk about that field uh, and where that fits into this uh, paradigm. So pathology is the gateway to
1: therapy in cancer. Uh, You have to recognize what is there first before you can treat it. So for for every, pretty much uh, every cancer that is not a blood cancer, so every solid cancer in the body, uh, the process has remained actually remarkably the same for the last 125 years. Uh, A piece of tissue is taken out of the body, it's cut to a very thin thickness, so a a single cell uh, level thickness, uh, put on a glass slide, and then we put dyes on it, and these dyes, uh, originate from natural products and trees, for example. So this is a rather old technology. Uh, and then we look at it under a microscope. Uh, a person looks at it and makes a subjective decision based on how the tumor looks. So what we said instead of uh, doing this manual, uh, you know, multi-step process, we're gonna take the tissue and directly look at its chemistry. And if we can directly look at its chemistry and use a computer program to analyze that, Uh, First of all, it's all digital. There's no manual, subjective uh, decision-making there. Second, it can be very objective and automated, so we can get consistent results, and we don't have to spend that much time to get the results. Uh, Third, as I think I mentioned briefly, uh, we can change the way uh, we look at pathology. So instead of looking at just the characteristics of the tumor, uh, which make up almost all the diagnostic criteria right now, we can understand the tumor as well as its microenvironment. So we understand the whole society of the tumor rather than just the individual uh, part of the tumor. And with that, maybe we can make better diagnoses, and if we can diagnose better, we can uh, uh, have much better personalized uh, type of treatments for people.
0: And uh, beyond the actual tumor itself, the activity that leads to the cancer cells developing, being able to understand what that activity looks like before certainly can play a role because you you could diagnose the cancer uh, line that it's going to develop even before it develops, and and, uh, that would be huge as well.
1: That, indeed, that would be true. So what we are, uh, the concept that we have been working on is we're trying to understand how the interplay between different types of cells at the very beginnings of cancer, maybe even a step before uh, the cancer actually starts to grow, uh, determines the growth rate of the cancer afterwards. So it's really a question of kinetics and dynamics of the growth of the cancer, right? If it's a really slow-growing cancer that might take, you know, 50 years in a, you know, 70-year-old person uh, to grow, then we perhaps don't need to bother about it, right? That's even recognizing that and the factors that go into that slow growth can be really helpful. Uh, Certainly the factors that grow into growing the tumor really fast, uh, those are are our first priority, and those are things we want to study first, Uh, but overall... Why do certain tumors grow faster? And why do others grow slower? Uh, We think this answer lies in the microenvironment. So we want to make better tools to study it, better tools to model it, and eventually try to understand it.
0: Well, that brings us to the the 3D printing because you've uh, diverged a little bit um, uh, over the last couple of years to really focus on 3D printing. And so I want you to kind of describe this effort. Um, It's impressive to look in the palm of somebody's hand and see a a 3D model of an actual heart with all the the tubes and vessels and things like that. Uh, Talk about how that is done and uh, what that could mean for the study of cancer.
1: Yeah, so the heart was um, an example that we just printed. It was a scaffold of the heart uh, to show the capabilities of our printer. But the the real capability of our printer is to print down to micron-sized objects. And the logic of the micron-sized object is, that is the smallest functional unit in an organ, say the breast. So what we would like to do in our lab is use this scaffold printing. So we print with uh, sugars as a medium. And that sugar is meant to act as a scaffold on which to grow tumor cells, and then the sugar will dissolve away. So just like you put a scaffold around a building, build the building, and then the scaffold is dismantled, that's exactly the same concept. So we're trying now in the lab to put together tumors with certain types of cells that are found in the microenvironment in the correct geometry with the correct mechanical properties and of course the correct chemical properties. So 3D printing uh, was a really attractive way a few years ago to bring modern engineering sort of fabrication principles to cancer. Uh, It also played uh, quite well with our expertise in instrumentation. So much of the same uh, expertise that goes into making these infrared microscopes that we make in our lab Uh, we can channel towards making the printer Uh, instrumentation is rather similar in that sense but the concept of the printer of course is totally different from that of the imaging devices
0: so you use the scaffold then to grow these actual living cells um, around it
1: yes so we coat the scaffold first with a protective material and then on that protective material we have ways to uh, to make sure that cancer cells adhere to that material for example And then we cast a microenvironment around it of the desired type. Uh, Because of the protective layer, then, we can dissolve away the scaffold at the appropriate time. And so now the effort in the lab is really about controlling the dissolving of the scaffold, the coating of the cells, and making sure that once it's a freestanding structure, it actually keeps resembling a a human organ or a piece of it uh, and the human tissue for a little bit. Uh, Eventually, the goal is to take our imaging expertise and build almost a map Uh, from our imaging expertise of the chemistries and the locations of the different cells and use that to feed our printer so that we can make an exact replica of what we actually observe.
0: And we're not necessarily talking organs, just organs, but uh, obviously cancer lives in these uh, hard-to-find, hard-to-image places like lymph nodes, for instance. Um, Talk about that aspect of this. Yeah, That's a really good
1: question, Mike, because the the big problems in cancer arise when it leaves its local destination and goes to the bones, for example, or, of course, via the lymph nodes, as you mentioned, or or goes to the brain or goes to the lung and then starts colonizing those organs so they can't perform their own function. So if it goes to the the bones, for example, they cannot produce the cells uh, that are required in our blood to sustain us. In the brain, of course, then they they seize the activity of the cells in the brain uh, and so on. So this metastasis of cancer cells from their primary uh, place of origin to places where they shouldn't be is one of the biggest problems in cancer today. Once metastasis has started, it becomes really, really difficult. So these model systems that we can build in the lab can actually be used to study how the local microenvironments in the bone promote uh, cancer growth, for example. So having an engineering approach to fabricating cancer microenvironments allows us this large possibility of studying all stages of cancer, really early uh, confined cancers in an organ and when they metastasize as well.
0: So you can do this without actually having cells from an actual person. Uh, you can watch it grow in, like you said, in, in its microenvironment environment uh, without needing any evasive uh, action taking on, on an actual person. Yeah, that's true. And, and by using these fabrication techniques, then what we can
1: really do is accelerate the study of cancer. So instead of waiting for the right microenvironment in the right patient and, of course, in the patient at that time uh, to try and perform imaging, which is really difficult inside the human body, we can actually recreate these environments outside and recreate a, a huge variety of these environments by using modern manufacturing techniques. And that's the idea really to accelerate uh, our study of cancer. And one
0: of the other aspects that uh, you have become a leading expert on is just the education part of this. How, um, and this is at the heart, really, of uh, the Carl Illinois College of Medicine. This is a new way of, of educating our future uh, doctors that they really understand from a, from a uh, fundamental level of research and, and uh, techniques and things like that. Um, talk about how things are changing and how we are Um, educating future physicians?
1: Oh, this is a great uh, question and very near and dear to my heart. Of course the Carl Illinois College of Medicine is an amazing and revolutionary opportunity uh, to change the way we educate physicians and the idea there is to have the physicians be competent in technology and engineering uh, and the use of the same uh, as well as innovate in that space. So we actually call them physician innovators uh, and essentially the idea is they can bring in new concepts from engineering, from uh, technical sciences, uh, back to practice and really make that process faster. But our uh, impact on education is not restricted uh, to just medical students. As you know, we have the Cancer Scholars Program in the College of Engineering itself. And the idea is how to use cancer or any health topic as a motivating tool to really better the practice of cancer of engineering education itself. So we think we make even better engineers when we inspire them by a health topic. And now we've had two classes of of cancer scholars graduate. Uh, They're all doing phenomenally well, Uh, but most importantly, they understand their engineering education much better because they have the context of an application field in a disease, for example, Mm -hmm. uh,
0: to motivate them and help them
1: uh, understand their classes. Well, you
0: mentioned that we've graduated to uh Classes. Talk about the, the makeup of that class, and, and you had alluded that they're doing very well. Can you, can you be specific as to the type of uh, fields that they're entering and the impacts that they've made uh, on society so far?
1: Yeah, this is a very exciting time in the Cancer Scholars Program. We, so we started this, or thought about this, about seven years ago. And we were actually supported uh, by the uh, education program, a small grant-making program within the College of Engineering. Now it's formalized in the Academy for Engineering Education Excellence, AE3, uh, that we have within the college. And so with the AE3 support, we were able to pilot a program uh, back then that asked the question that what if we uh, informed our freshmen of challenges in a major health problem, and in this case cancer, because it was near and dear to my uh, interests. We we started with cancer as the topic, and asked the question, what if we told people up front what the problems were and said that you have an incredible opportunity as an undergraduate to try and make progress against those problems. So our Cancer Scholars Program starts with a a two-hour course in the very first semester that the students are here. It's called Frontiers in Cancer Research. And it tries to inform them about where the opportunities are to make progress in cancer. Uh, From the second semester onwards, the students uh, start doing research in the lab. And then for the next three and a half years, they perform research, usually in the same lab, so by the time they graduate, they've actually got more than three years of research under their belt, and many of them have amazing uh, experiences. So one of our students who graduated uh, you know, this past May, and she's headed over to MIT uh, to now do a PhD, she published two papers as an undergraduate uh, for, uh, while she was here, and really, more importantly, developed a sense of how to do research, uh, developed a sense of how to think about problems, and gained the confidence that she can actually make a difference in this, in this problem. Another one of our students, Pierce Hadley, uh, from uh, the year past, is now at University of California, San Francisco, and Berkeley, the joint MD-PhD program, and he's actually working on a similar idea to what he was working on here, is how to recreate breast cancers in the lab so he can study them better. And so many of these students are now coming out uh, much better educated about the problem and
0: certainly with the experience of research, uh, much better equipped to tackle it. So these techniques uh, that we've talked about at the onset, how accurate can they be in terms of knowing what's happening in, an, in the actual body? because obviously we talked about these are living cells, but they're f- they're fabricated. Um, what What can they tell us from an a- you know accuracy standpoint? No, the human body is incredibly
1: complex. it is perhaps more complex than any system that we typically study in an engineering. But you know in engineering, this is all about making a workable, reducible model of the problem. So our goal is not to recapitulate every uh, small detail of the human body, but is to recapture some of the essential driving characteristics, right? So what is the biggest factor, for example, that drives a tumor forward? Uh, Let's discover that, let's work on that, Uh, understand that fully. Once we've dealt with that, let's discover then what is the next biggest factor and so on. So this is a, a really quest Uh, that has begun now in earnest, but it's a quest to figure out piece by piece uh, using these systems that replicate one aspect uh, of cancer and how they might be connected to each other in the future. Uh, But the idea, again, is not. We perhaps cannot replicate every single detail, certainly not at this point, Uh, but let's try to
0: replicate some, uh, the most important ones, and then add to it as we go along. Well, fascinating stuff. And you mentioned future. Um, I always like to... to towards the end of our podcast to, to give our guests a chance to look into their crystal ball, if you will, um, and see where are we headed. I mean, this is. it seems like this uh, type of uh, research can really explode and can make uh, an impact rather quickly. Uh, indeed. That
1: is my belief, and I, I hope I'm correct in this, because if we look back in history, uh, from the 70s, Uh, to the turn of century, the explosion in molecular biology is really what we're benefiting from today. The new kinds of drugs, uh, things like immunotherapy, and other really amazing approaches are the consequence of really fundamental work done, uh, say, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So if we are now uh, in the midst of doing or starting that fundamental work, let's say we've been a decade at using engineering technologies to make progress against cancer, Surely in the next decade or two decades, we're going to start seeing uh, some of the fruits of those uh, applications uh, early on. And I imagine a future in which engineering can be even more pervasive. So biology or molecular biology, uh, genomics for example, can help you understand cancer at certain points. For example, uh, precancers or what happens once it's diagnosed or the response to chemotherapy or what tra- or what therapeutic agent to use in a particular case. Uh, with these engineering technologies, we have uh, actually quite a, a vast array of possibilities. So imagine real-time sensors uh, that a person, once a person has had uh, you know, treatment for cancer, they're wearing a sensor that senses many aspects of their health, and those sensing elements are connected to modern artificial intelligence that can identify problems early, can identify lifestyle changes that would benefit people, and really be integrated not at one point uh, say at the, at the time of treatment, but for a long time afterwards
0: that help us live better and recover better from cancer. How is this uh, helping to uh, get better drugs and, and that sort of thing? I mean, I would think uh, being able to use these models to be able to test uh, potential drugs on, uh, on these cells would be very beneficial. Indeed.
1: So it's, it starts from just simply discovering more. Um, It starts from stratifying uh, people as to see who will respond to which drug. It starts from modeling uh, how tumors behave and modeling in response uh, to what action the drugs might have and so on. So we have quite an amazing uh, set of possibilities now. Uh, And the, the goal really is to take these engineering advances and as a first step, mesh them with existing clinical therapies and existing clinical approaches. As a next step, then, is to discover new things uh, that can change the way we're, we're uh, dealing with the disease at present. So we're just at the beginning, really, of this uh, engineering-type approach applied to cancer. And I'm sure we'll see some
0: progress ahead. Why is Illinois the right place to, to have this happen? Uh, because we talked about the first engineering-based college of medicine, potentially the, uh, the first um, uh, cancer uh, center. Um, that's engineering-based being accredited by the National Institutes of Health and so forth. Talk about what makes Illinois the place where this could be uh, kind of the center uh, of this uh, research and technology.
1: Well, Illinois engineering is simply amazing. I mean, if you look at the history of uh, many technologies that have changed society over the last century, you'll find Illinois engineers, uh, you know, behind many of those innovations. And so there's a really huge history at Illinois of doing the hardcore, difficult engineering problems that allow us to make progress uh, broadly in that field. So then in that history, that tradition, uh, that culture of addressing big problems and finding solutions for it, I think is the start. Uh, The second really good thing we have going for us is we're a very large engineering school. Uh, More importantly, we're a very collaborative uh, engineering school. So using, harnessing this power of collaborative size and turning our focus onto uh, an important problem for society that really is in the best uh, traditions of Illinois engineering. It also helps that we had a somewhat of a blank slate. So, the University of Illinois was not engaged in a clinical cancer enterprise, for example, or tied down uh, to conventional molecular biology approaches where we have already invested a lot of money and in infrastructure and resources uh, to enable that direction. And I think those are really important directions. So, the places that are making important advances in clinical sciences or molecular sciences for cancer ought to continue making those those amazing, great advances. But then we need new people to come in and focus in on the engineering side. So I think we have the excellence, we have the size, we have the focus, and
0: we have the leadership uh, to really bring engineering into cancer. Sounds great. Uh, The the heart, uh, we've seen the picture of the heart. Are there any other organs that, um, that you're working on?
1: Not quite yet. We've, we've done, gone down in size, and now we're actually
0: trying to make uh, little single ducts of breast tissue okay. uh, to mimic cancer. All right. Rohit Bargov has been our guest. Thank you for uh, spending 30 minutes or so with us, uh, um, and we look forward to, to having you back, certainly uh, as, a, as a repeat guest. And um, things are changing rapidly, and so we, we look forward to, to the, what's next Um, And certainly when the uh, accreditation uh, happens, and we certainly anticipate uh, or are hoping that that happens, uh, we'd like to bring you back to talk about that. Thank you, Mike. I'd love to come back. Thanks. This has been another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois.